0: The following is a recording from ACF Church in Eagle River, Alaska. If you would like to join us, our services are Wednesday nights at 7 p.m. and Sundays at 9 and 11 a.m. We would love for you to be our guests. We hope you consider partnering in the work God is doing here by joining a life group, serving, and giving. If you would like to give financially to the mission of ACF Church, you can safely give by texting the donation amount to 907 341 4213. Now prepare your hearts to hear God's word. Hey, what's up? 11 a.m. How you guys doing? You're here. Welcome to church. You made it. I celebrate that every week. I think uh, sometimes it's just an act of God that you showed up, you guys. So kudos to you. You made it. Uh, We're so glad that you're here. By the way, if you have gaps in your row, can you just kind of squeeze in together? We're just um, lots of people still coming in. This is a great chance to uh, promote Wednesday Church, um, by the way. If if you have Wednesday nights free, and if this summer you are going to be gone on the weekends, if you're busy on the weekends... Uh, I'd encourage you guys. I'd love to see on Wednesday night. It's just a way to stay engaged, to continue to grow, to be involved with community, and then you can be like reeling in salmon on the weekend. So anyway, totally encourage you to do that. Reel in the salmon. Stay connected to church. We'd love to have you still involved here. We, if you're new, uh, I just want to say thanks for coming. Thanks for hanging out with us uh, today and, and maybe joining our ACF community. We're, jo- we're starting into a new series called Blind Spots, and uh, I'm excited. I'm excited. We're going to be talking a lot about who we are and our identities. As we said last week, identity was the number one word according to to Dictionary.com in 2015. And so people want to know who they are. It's a big topic. Um, Before we get into it too much, I failed you guys last week. Um, Like, what do you do? I forgot to celebrate. We had 50 people make decisions to follow Jesus on Easter. So let's thank God for that. So good, so good. I mean, that's, you guys, I love it. That's what we're about. We're about life change. We're about seeing people moved closer to Christ and so if that was one of you I just encourage you uh, take steps forward get into community ask a lot of questions this is the place for we say this a lot as a church that you don't have to believe to belong if you're wrestling with your faith and you're not so sure what you think then this is the place to be I'd encourage you to continue to come and to press into community get to know some people Uh, hang around afterwards if you're like I just tend to run off and get lunch stick around meet some people it's really going to make ACF feel like home to you so uh, if you have a Bible will open up to the book of Ephesians. Uh, we're going to be going through this entire book. It's six chapters. We're going to spend twelve weeks going through this book, and um, I'm, I'm just stoked for this because I feel like I feel like it's going to be um, it's going to be a fun ride, and I feel like by the end of it, we're going to learn a lot about who God is and who we are, and we're going to know how to relate to Him and to each other better, having gone through this. Um, have you ever have you ever had somebody in your blind spot? like driving. You ever dealt with this before? Like you're going down the road and you think things are fine. You check the, the mirror on the window. You check the one on the side of the car and you think that you're ready to turn into the, into the other lane. You go into the other lane and then you hear, Mah! right? And there's somebody over there giving you the, uh, you know, your number one sign, like, hey, stay in your lane. I'll stay in mine. And, and you realize like you did everything that you were supposed to do except for one thing, You didn't check your blind spot, right? You're supposed to turn over your shoulder and do that one little glance. If you're a teenage driver, do this please. Look over your shoulder, check your blind spot because people can hang out there. In fact, maybe you've seen this sign on the back of a semi-truck that says, if I can't see you, what? Or you can't see me, I can't see you. That's what it was. If you can't see me, I can't see you. That means you're in my blind spot. I'm not going to know that you're there. I might drive right over you. And so we have realized that as people, we have a lot of blind spots. And as we talked last week, we had three stools up here, and we talked about how this stool represented being deceived, that we all have things about us that we don't know are there, things that the people around us see that we don't see. You guys know that exists, right? Right? There's stuff about you. Your wife knows about it. Your husband knows about it. Your roommates know about it. Everybody knows about it, but you. That's just how it is. We all have blind spots, and we hang out in this deceived place. Or maybe you've taken a step to the next chair, and this next chair is somebody who's really honest about the world, and maybe God's spoken to them, and, and you've seen uh, just some of the wreckage in your own life, some of the things that you've created from the, the, the sin that's inside of you. And so you're honest about your own brokenness, but you're really just kind of depressed, You're you're depressed, you're discouraged, you're not sure how to get out of there. And so I really encouraged everybody to continue to move over to the next stool, which represented somebody who's honest about who they are, about their mistakes, about their problems, but they have gained a new identity in Christ. That They're covered in Christ, so they don't have to be discouraged, they don't want to be deceived, but they can be honest about their, their weaknesses, and they can know who they are. And that's what I want for all of you guys. I hope that by the end of this series, you know exactly who you are, because who you are should identify what you do. Who you are should be the, the deciding factor for how you raise your kids, how you deal with college, how you deal with decisions in your life. What do you do with your money? What do you do uh, for, for the future? What are your plans? Who you are is the thing that should inform all of your decisions in life. And so we want to know who we are as people. Now, the book of Ephesians, it's a letter written by this guy named Paul, and Paul's in prison when he's writing this letter, which is awesome. This is a prison letter, which is cool. And, and I just think about this. So he's been in prison for sharing the gospel. Um, he was a threat to the Jews, and so they often would find him, beat him, and put him in prison. And so he's writing this letter to this church that he planted in Ephesus. He loves this church. This is, he's a church planner. He's a pastor. He loves these people, and he wants to encourage them to continue to grow in maturity in Christ, And I love this. I don't know how many of you would be discouraged if you were in prison, right? If you just left ACF Church today and you you got out in the parking lot and they had buses lined up there, you know, police cars in the parking lot and they're like, hey, come with us. You're gonna be in prison. How many of you would be like, I just came for the donuts. Like, I have no idea. I just got to be honest with you. I wanted some coffee. My buddy drugged me to church. I don't believe it. Like, Jesus who, right? I mean, if, if we're honest, if we're in a situation like that, some of us might deny that we want anything to do with Jesus. Paul is in prison for his faith, and he doesn't go to, imprison, to prison and just, you know, lay around and be like, oh, I'm so sad. Here I am in prison. No, he writes a letter to his church. He continues to pastor from behind bars, which is awesome. I love that about Paul, Ephesus, if you don't know where it's at, is in modern-day Turkey. And has anybody actually walked the streets of Ephesus? Anybody actually been there a few of you guys? That's cool. We've had a few in each service. It's a cool thing, isn't it? It's, it's an amazing place to go. It's uh, the home of a, a huge archaeological dig at this point. And uh, Ephesus was a port city. And and Ephesus was this highly influential, highly progressive city of commerce and and technology. And there's a lot of money flowing through Ephesus. So it's this thriving, uh, thriving community that Paul goes to to plant a church. He's a smart guy, right? He's like, if I want to evangelize the countryside, I'm going to start with the city, and I'm going to let it spread, and so Paul went to Ephesus and planted a church there, and this church is growing, and it's thriving. In fact, there's this theater in Ephesus that seats up to 25,000 people, and from what we understand, the church grew to the point that it was, it was filling out this, this amphitheater, so this was like the first megachurch, right? This, this church in Ephesus was a growing, thriving church, but like any church, it had its problems, Just so you know, ACF Church, you've got your problems. All churches have their problems. If you don't think the churches have their problems, then you're in the wrong church, you guys. Just to be honest with you, churches have issues. And their church had issues. A lot of these people, they worshiped a lot of different gods. And so in this city was the temple to Diana. And this temple was considered by one scholar that I was reading about one of the seven wonders of the ancient world, this huge, ornate temple, and people would come, and they'd they'd bring all kinds of money, and, and they would make sacrifices, and it turned into this kind of money-making scheme for a lot of people, and they'd sell little trinkets, and you'd come, and you'd buy this little trinket, this little statue of Diana that you'd worship, and, and it was all like, if Diana was happy with you, then then you'd be blessed, and things would go well in your life. If she was mad at you, and you, you didn't do what she wanted, then you wouldn't be blessed, and you'd be cursed. And so their entire idea of faith and belief in God, with Diana being God, was based on fear. Now some of you, you know what this feels like. Some of you, this has been your story when it comes to church and faith for a long time. Like you remember that maybe you had that pastor that one time that used to motivate with nothing but fear. Like, if I can just scare you into doing the right thing, maybe, maybe they'll do the right thing. If I can just, you know, hang hell over your head and be like, hey, you're going to hell if you do this, then that's going to motivate. And so for these people, it was all about that. It was all about fears. Always, you know, am I in? Am I out? Always worried about doing the right thing. So that, that was, that was uh, Diana. And that really shaped their culture. And, and for a lot of these people, they would have been tempted to just kind of plug Jesus in next to Diana. Like, they would have been tempted to add Jesus to their whole, um, their whole set of gods, like just one of many different gods that they worship to try to, try to protect themselves. And, and maybe some of you have lived this way, where, where you just kind of take this, this faith, a little bit of that faith, a little bit of this religion, go to this church, go to that church. You know, you believe in all kinds of different things in hopes that maybe you're going to kind of power slide into heaven someday, and you'll be good, you know? Maybe one of those is true, so I'm going to be good. Whereas Jesus shows up and he says things like, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Except through me. So Jesus is the only way. And so here's what I want you to do. As we start off today, I'm rushing. I have a lot to cover and not enough time to do it. But as we start off today, here's what I want you to ask yourself. Is are you in Christ? Are you in Christ today? Where do you sit? And just kind of identify where is it that you're at today. The Bible talks about two kinds of people that there are people who are in Christ, and then they talk about people who are in Adam. And it says this in 1 Corinthians 15, For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. So he's drawing, this is Paul again, drawing this line of the sand, saying there's people here who are in Adam. And by saying you're in Adam, what he's talking about is, is the garden and how you know, through Adam and Eve, sin entered into the world. And so you've got kind of what's called the first Adam. And so by his sin, we are all sort of recipients of that identity because there was sin in the, in, in, in the beginning. We all now have what, what's called this, this sin nature. And you've seen it before. It's come out you know, when somebody cuts you off. You know, it's come out when somebody's in your blind spot or you're in theirs. It comes out you know, when, when things don't go well in your life. You see, okay, yeah, I have sort of a, a, a nature. A, 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 I'm prone to, to sin, to be greedy and, and to be lustful and to be angry, and there's things in my life that are not healthy. So that's to be an Adam. Then over here is somebody who is in Christ, somebody who identifies with with Christ. And so Christ is often called the, the, the second Adam. The second Adam. So by the first Adam, we are all made sinful. And so we're admitting that. Like, my identity is in my sin, and that's all I can do, you know? Over here is Christ, the second Adam. And by this Adam, we can be made alive. We can be given hope. We can be given a new identity. And if you're here and you're like, I don't know which one I'm in. I'm not sure, I'm not sure if I'm in Christ or if I'm, I'm in Adam or, or in the world. And I, I guess what I can tell you is this. To, to identify which one you're in, what I want you to do is just look at your life and, and tell me, like, what is the one thing that, if it were taken away, would destroy you? What is the one thing? Like, the thing that you've given the authority to destroy you is probably the thing that defines you. So what is it in your life that you've given authority to that if it disappeared tomorrow, you wouldn't know what to do with yourself? Or if it were taken away from you, you wouldn't know who you were anymore? Or I guess you could say it like this in more of like a positive light, the things that drive you define you. What is it that got you out of bed this morning? Why did you even do it? Like, what are you doing here? What's the point? You got out of bed, you brushed your teeth, you know, you got in the car, you made it to church. Why do you live? What is the thing that drives you? Why are you going to do it tomorrow? I hope you do it tomorrow. Why are you going to do it tomorrow? And by identifying the why behind your life, you're going to identify whether you are an Adam or you're in Christ. And what I want to talk about today is that you can move from being an Adam to in Christ. And when you're in Christ, it changes who you are. Let's pray together. Jesus, thank you so much for your word. Thank you that uh, we can gather here safely under, underneath one roof and open your scripture and ask you to speak to us. God, I pray that we could be fully present here for a few moments. God, I just ask that you would intervene in our lives. We have so many things that we don't see. God, I confess, I know there's a lot about me that I don't even recognize yet, God, that you wanna work on, that you wanna change about me. But God, I just pray for everyone in this room that we could leave today being in Christ. Fully covered by you and identified by you. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So Ephesians 1 is where we're going to be. If you want to open up your Bible to that, you can also open up your smartphone. I'll just assume you're reading your Bible and not surfing Facebook. But um, if you do, just again, check in and uh, say something cool about my hair. That's what I keep saying. Just say something cool about my hair. Um, you're like, what's up with him and his hair? Anyway. Um, so, so yeah, open that up. And also, if you uh, if you want to download the ACF Church app, That's also got the verses right on it, so that's on Android and iPhone, so just go to to the App Store, download that, and follow along with us. But up on the stage, we've got a mirror, and the mirror is going to be a bit of a metaphor throughout this series for how we view ourselves and and how God views us. Now, Ephesians is split up sort of into two halves. The, The first half talks a lot about who God is. And how we should view ourselves in light of who God is and how God views us. And so it's a lot about who God is. And then the second half of of Ephesians is then how should we live? What do we do with this new identity? What does it mean to be in Christ and in the world? And in your relationships and in your schools and in your workplaces? Like what does that look like? And so on this mirror I'm going to write um, God. Always the right answer in church. God. And one thing we know about who God is is that He is what? Love. God is love. I want to write love like that about God. God is love. He doesn't act loving. He doesn't feign love. He, as core, is identified with love. You and I, we're not love. Amen. Amen. come on, be honest, you're not love. Just just be honest with yourself, you know that. You can act loving, you can do loving things occasionally, you know, you can treat the kids loving sometimes, but then you know that you're not love, you know, when you're kicking the dog and things aren't going well and you're screaming at the neighbor for not bringing back the lawnmower, and like, you know, okay, I'm not love, but God is love. And even like, you're like, okay, Brian, I've read the Old Testament, that didn't look that loving. Even in those things, you need to understand, like, when I parent my kids, when I show love to my children, it doesn't always feel like love to my kids, Right? Children, teenagers, uh-huh, yeah, mom and dad, that didn't feel like love. It, it almost never, dis- discipline almost never feels like love, but God is love, and in all of what he does, there's this grand picture that he's, he's got our best interest in mind. So we're starting with that about God. Ephesians 1, verse 1 says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God to the saints who are in Ephesus, this is who he's writing to, the saints, the believers in Ephesus, and are faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, so he first starts off by saying he's an apostle. An apostle just means somebody who is sent. Now, this is key because Paul sees himself not as somebody to sit in jail and waste away, but as a missionary behind bars, which is awesome. And so for us as the church, what I, what I read into that is that we have that same identity. Like, we too are the sent. We too are those who are apostles. Apostles. And you guys got to know this. Like, if you're just new to ACF Church or you don't really know kind of what we're about, we are a sending church. This is at the very core of who we are, is that we are missionaries in our community. In fact, I went to a church once, maybe we should do this, who had a sign on the back door. And when you left the church, it said, You are now entering the mission field. And I totally love that because it it reframes what this whole thing is about. Like, the whole goal isn't to come to church and then to go home and be like, Hey, I'm going to get my Jesus on here in seven more days. I'm gonna come back, and I'm gonna go, you know, gonna go home, and I'm gonna come back, and it's just kind of about the gathering. But we we see this more as like a trampoline into the community. Like this is a place to get fired up and to gain some energy, and then to be sent out into your workplaces and into your schools, into our city. And if you don't like that, you're gonna be really frustrated here, because we are not gonna go easy on that. Like we're not gonna stop pushing on that. You have been part of churches that instead of you know being mission missionary fields that become country clubs where you just come and you hang out and everybody feels good and then we, we fake and we act like we're doing really good then we go home and nothing changes. Anybody want a church like that? No, no we don't. We won't be, I'll go do something else if we're a church like that. We are a church that's a sending church, a church of people who are, who are sent into the community like the Apostle Paul. He says, you are saints. Now I like this. He calls you a saint. Feel like a saint today? You're like, if you only knew what I did last night. Saint, you guys are saints, which is really cool. Like, own that today, receive that today. And what a saint is somebody who's set apart, set apart for the the ministry of God. In fact, we were just, I was joking with some of the worship team upstairs, like, you know, what's it take to be a saint? Like, if you're from a uh, more of a Catholic background, you know, you have to perform a couple miracles, then you have to die. So I don't know how close you are to that, but... um, like, are you, are you a saint? It's cool, the Bible calls you saints. Like, you who are in Christ, if you're in Christ, covered by Christ, then you are a saint, all of you. Like, like, Saint Adam. What up, Saint Adam? How are you doing? Saint Adam. So he's a saint. He's got to own that, that that's now his identity. I'm Saint Brian, which is weird. But what I'm saying is I'm somebody who's set apart for ministry, for what God has called me to do. And then he says grace and peace, which I love that. I love the, he he says, like, you guys need some grace and you guys need some peace. And so many of Paul's letters end and begin with grace and peace. He wants you to know, like, there's grace for you. There's peace for you. Receive that today. Receive it. He says it all the time. In fact, when I write emails, a lot of times I'll end an email with grace and peace. Because what I've realized is that a lot of people need that. Some of you guys just today, if you walk away with nothing else, grace and peace to you. Grace and peace. Verse three, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Okay, so he touches on God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. What he's, what he's giving them a little bit is, is the Trinity, the idea of God being three persons in one. And you're like, what, what does this matter? What's the whole point in this? Oh, hopefully you've understood this before. So God is one essence, three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Why does this matter? What is the point in all of this? If you don't understand the Trinity, you won't understand where you fit in the universe. Like, like why you're here. What's the whole purpose? In fact, maybe you've asked this question. Uh, maybe you asked it to a Sunday school teacher or to a friend once, and you said, Hey, why did God even create us? What's the whole point? And maybe they gave you this answer. Well, God was lonely. Have you heard that? God was lonely. He needed some friends. And I'm always like, God could have done a better job of making friends. Like, we're just not that good of friends sometimes, be honest. And, and so he made us because he needed friendship, but we're just like terrible friends for the most part. And, and so that can be it. So Trinity, if you understand Trinity, what you see is that God is complete and whole in himself. God doesn't need you. Amen. God doesn't need you. He doesn't need me. He doesn't need any of us. See, God is complete and whole in his own divine community. He himself is a divine community in and of himself. And the whole story of of creation all the way to now has been the story of a loving God who seeks after mankind, who, who is destroying themselves. It's never been about mankind seeking after God and finding God who's over here hiding from us. It's always, even from the garden, in Genesis 2, we see sin entering the garden. And then God goes, as the first missionary into the garden, he goes to Adam and he says, Adam, where are you? He walks around the garden like like God doesn't know. Adam, where are you? Just waiting for Adam to respond so that he can get honest with God. So God is the first missionary. He's the first one sent out to seek after us. We got to know this so that we don't mistake our place in creation and think that we are the ones that seek after God. We are the ones that are good. So God created us out of love for us. He created us because it was an overflow of his love within his community. It's kind of like um, if you have kids, a lot of you have kids here today, um, I hope that you had kids out of an overflow of the love that you had for each other. I hope that you didn't have kids to complete your marriage. Come on, right? Come on. You guys know, like, this isn't healthy. And maybe you, maybe you did this, and you're like, yep, uh, busted. It was me. Or maybe you've got friends that did this where, they, you know, the marriage wasn't really working, and they were struggling. And they were like, you know what we need to do to fix our messed up marriage? We need to in- introduce children. That's going to fix it. It's, it's all the parents that are laughing. They're like, why would you think that? But you do, because you're like, maybe we can just kind of complete ourselves with kids. God doesn't do this. God doesn't do this. He is complete and whole and at peace with himself apart from us. See, God isn't lost without us. We're lost without God. That's an amen, right? God isn't lost without us. Thank you, Jesus, that we don't, we don't worship a God that is up there insecure about what we think about him. He's fine in and of himself. Verse 4, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. Okay, so I love this. He says that he chose us. We're chosen. We're chosen. And then he also says that we are holy. Now, it's important to note, before we get too much further, is there's, there's this thing in history called the cross. hope you've heard of it. you heard of it? I hope so. So the cross, if you came Easter, you heard a lot about it. Easter's all about the cross. And the cross is a story of God himself putting on the flesh of humanity, coming to earth to save us, to give us holiness, to make us right before God. God. And so when we're in Christ, because of the cross, because Christ paid the penalty for our sins, we can be made right before God. He chose us because he loves us, not because we're good, not because you did anything worth choosing, right? Not because you, like, put a couple dollars in the plate last week not because you know i'm a i'm some kind of amazing speaker at church or not because like you uh, went to seminary or because you had christian parents not because of any of that god chooses you for god so loved the world that he gave his son that if we believe in him we would not perish so that's what he say he chooses us he chooses us and he chooses us for his glory this is so good it's so important to know this he chooses us for his honor and his glory not for our glory. This is so important. Because when you get this, it gets why, you get why we do what we do in church. Like, have you ever wondered why we sing every week? What's the purpose of that? Like, why do we do that? In fact, a lot of men in the room, you guys struggle with that, really. You're like, I just have a craving for coffee at like 40 minutes into the service every week. I don't know why. Got to get some coffee. So it's like that's because it's awkward, and I totally get that. Why are we singing in church? We don't sing anywhere else in, in all of our culture except for at church together in baseball games, right? So why do we do this? What's the point? I found this great quote by a man named John Piper. He says this, When God gets his glory, we get our joy. When God gets his glory, we get our joy. It's it's almost like when we worship God, when we honor God, it's like we're coming home. You need to know that. We do this every week because we need to rehearse this as a community and as individuals. We need to rehearse what it looks like to put ourselves underneath the authority of God. It's called worship. And worship means for us to submit ourselves to the power of God. And so when we sing, We honor him. We talk about who he is and who we are under Christ. It's our way of submitting to his authority and saying it's not about us. It's all about you, which is one of our values as a church. It's all about Jesus. It's not about us. And so we got to keep coming back to that because um, I forget that on Monday morning. Anybody else? Anybody else forget that this world isn't about you on Monday morning? Like when when, when, when the, the stuff hits the fan, right? And you're like just kind of completely consumed with your situation and your story and everything in your life and you don't know what to do. It's like, oh yeah, this whole world is not just about me. I love that. When God gets his glory, we get our joy. Verse seven. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose which he set forth in Christ, as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. So, lots of poetic language there. Lots being said there. He says that we are, you need to know this, forgiven and... Redeemed. Forgiven and redeemed. Again, by way of the cross, he's, he's telling this early church, a this, this, lot of new believers, hey, you guys are forgiven, you are redeemed by the blood of Christ. Forgiven your trespasses, those are sins, things that, things that you weren't supposed to do that you did. By his grace, which he lavished on us. I love that term. Like lavished means to just kind of bucket loads of grace. That's what your life is. When you're in Christ, just like bucket load. You wake up in the morning and it's like, God's like, here's a bucket load of grace for you today. You know, you're eating lunch, bucket loads of grace for you. You know, you're at work and you're typing away, bucket loads of grace. This is how you live. Just bucket loads of grace from God. Is that the God you know? You see him that way? This is important that we we get who this God is because it's gonna change how you feel about yourself and the way that you see your role in this world. So when you see God as the God that lavishes grace, forgiveness, that you are forgiven and you're redeemed. It changes. And, and this is cool. Uh, when you think about who's writing this, this is Paul. He's in prison, which is not where he used to spend his time. Like this isn't a guy with this rowdy past. Like he just kind of finds himself in prison. This guy was this religious nut job. That's who Paul was. He was this religious crazy man that was running around killing Christians. You know, in the name of his religion and his belief, he thought he was doing the right thing. And so then God, like, knocks him off a horse, blinds him for three days, which is kind of what it takes for some of us, because we're really hard-headed to get the, you know, to get the truth that's right in front of us. And then all of a sudden, his eyes are opened, and he sees that he's missed the point. He's missed the point. Jesus is God himself in the flesh. He is a, he is the Savior of the world. And so Paul has this amazing, miraculous salvation experience, and then he becomes, like, one of the most influential men of the faith. I mean, there's, there's Moses and there's Abraham and there's Paul who writes two-thirds of the New Testament. But that's his story. Do you think he understood forgiveness and redemption? Do you understand it? Some of you are here and you've been in the church a long time. You, you have called your Christ, yourself a Christian for a long time. And you have forgotten what you've been saved from. I mean, that's a story from years ago or, you know, maybe you've kind of lost touch with with some of the dark parts of your heart because you don't look at that stuff anymore because you're like, no, I'm a Christian, I'm saved, I'm good, I'm good. But it's important that we do this, that we go back to where we came from and we look at this sometimes. We don't forget Paul, Paul understood this. He understood that he did not deserve to be used by God. He didn't deserve any of this, just like we don't deserve it. What he deserved was separation from God. What he deserved was death. Instead, he was given life. And I, I want to talk about this for a second because I think this works its way into the way that we see the world all the time. Like, some of you guys are really attracted to the idea of getting what you deserve. And in our culture, we call it karma. You guys know what karma is? So, you need to know this. Like, in the church, there is no room for a theology of karma. Like, like the, the, the gospel doesn't have space for karma. They're they're, they're completely diametrically opposed. And here's why I say that. Karma is getting what you deserve. Grace is getting what you don't deserve. God is not a God of karma. Amen? And for this this church of Ephesians, these these early uh, church, early Christians, these young Christians, they're just getting their feet underneath them. I mean, some of you are here today and you're like, I don't really know what it means to be a Christian. Um, I just hope, like I showed back up to church, I hope God's happy with me. Like, this is my sacrifice today. I made it here, you know? And maybe you're like, okay, so the plate's gonna go by. That's always awkward. You know, put it in an envelope. Uh, just put something in there, anything. Put something in there. I just please God. And that's how you operate in general. And for these people, they would have been used to that. Just please God, try to keep him, try to keep him happy. And so it's all fear driven. Instead, he's trying to tell them, this is who you are in Christ. You are redeemed through his blood. Your trespasses have been forgiven according to the riches of his grace, like lavish grace, pouring it out on you. You did nothing to deserve it. It's all about him. It's all about Jesus. Grace. You don't want what you deserve, right? I don't want what I deserve. I'm attracted to that because I feel like I can control that. I'm attracted to that because I'm like, okay, so my car broke down on the side of the road today, but it's because I passed that homeless guy on Muldoon, and I know that. And so what I'll do next time is I'm gonna pick up the hitchhiker, and then my car's not gonna break down. It all works out together. Or no, like I just passed this test at school, or I got this raise at work, and I got it because I did. I made that donation at church. Remember that? I made all I gave all that money, and so then, you know, like then God blessed me, or you know, I helped that lady cross the street or held the door open, or whatever it is that you call, you know, religious behavior in your life. You did it. And so then God has to bless you. Who's in charge? You are. We love that. We love that. But the problem is, the problem is we don't want what we deserve. Because even those those little things, Paul says later, he says the, the most righteous of deeds are like filthy rags before God. Worthless. The best thing that you did. That thing that you're like, that was when God was totally stoked on me. That thing, filthy rag. Worthless. Totally worthless. Not that it doesn't have value. Certainly, you should be obedient to God and do things that God calls you to. It has value, but in the eyes of God, it doesn't make you right before him. Only Jesus. Only Jesus does that. This is hard. This is hard to receive. You will either live as an entitled enemy or a forgiven friend of God. You'll either live as an entitled enemy, looking for what you're entitled to, which is separation from God, or as a forgiven friend of God, and you're only going to get that forgiveness by his grace. Only by his grace. Now, every year we, we do what's called Impact Eagle River, which is um, just a, kind of a service day. We cancel Sunday morning church um, in this room, and we go out and we are the church in our community. And so we do projects around the city, and we do a free oil change in the parking lot for single parents. And every single year, people try to give us money. Every single year, somebody will be like, who's in charge around here? And people are like, Brian, go find him. What's wrong? And they'll come up and they'll be like, hey, I got I to pay you for this. And I'm like, no, like, that's the whole point. And they're like, no, you don't get it. I got to pay you for this. It, it, it does not compute in their minds because this is not how the world works, right? Nothing for free. Everybody wants something. Nobody gives you something that they don't want something back for in some way or another, right? I mean, just in general, that's kind of the rule of the world that we live in, whereas God is a God that gives freely of his own grace, of his own desire. And so when we change oil, I hope you know this. I hope every, you know, everything that we do as a church is casting a vision to our community of what the kingdom of God looks like. It's, it's never about oil changes or Easter eggs. I hope you guys know that. It's never about any of that. Like we, those are tools for us to show the community. This is what it looks like for the church to, to rise up and to, to love people and to care for people the way that Jesus loves us and cares for us. And so in that way, we are showing people what the kingdom of God is, as we just talked about, his plan from the fullness of time to unite all things to him. Like, that's what's coming. And so by doing this, we're telling people, get ready. This is what's coming. Get ready. What's coming is God coming to earth. Are you in Christ or are you in Adam? Because if, if you're in Christ, you're going to be with this, in this beautiful kingdom with God. Verse 11, in him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him, who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we, who are the first to hope in Christ, might be to the praise of his glory. We've obtained an inheritance. I love that. You know what that means? That means that God, it's like we're his children, and that he approves of us. He approves of us. When they heard inheritance, they would have thought about Israel. They would have thought about the promised land. They would have thought about how they'd been promised this this land flowing of milk and honey, and yet they constantly were running away from God, not believing in God, and so they're wandering in the desert. And so what God's saying to us is like, no, not by your works, because when you try to make it right, it never works out right. By my love and my grace, you are obtaining an inheritance because of Christ, an inheritance. And it says having been predestined. Now, some of you want me to spend the next hour and a half talking about this, and I'm not going to do it, but I'm sorry. I know I already got a couple emails about like, can we talk about this more? Predestination is like this obsession for some people. I mean, it is what makes some people get up in the morning. Like, that is their thing. Like, that's what drives them is predestination. And so this whole topic, if you don't know what it's about, it's just the question, did God choose us? Did we choose God? You know, like, is it is it my choice to follow God? Is it God choosing me and I didn't do anything about it? Am I a robot? over here that God just controls and and he saves and he does everything and you have nothing to do with it? Or am I over here and I'm in control and I'm the one that chooses God because there's some kind of goodness inside of me? You can go around in circles and people have been writing books about it for 2,000 years. But here's my deal. (laughs) Here's my rule. You can argue about predestination for an hour but for every hour, you need to lead one person to Jesus. That's my rule, okay? So if you go home to your small group and you want to argue about it, then every one of you need to lead one person to Jesus because here's the thing you don't want to miss the point. You want to come back to the point, which is that God chose you and you're not worthy. Own that. Believe that today. Believe that, and then you need to respond to that. What does it mean to respond to, like, okay, Brian, you're saying God chose me. What do I do with that? Where do I go? We'll talk about that in a second. So don't get off in the weeds. Don't get too lost on any of this. Make sure whatever, if, just side note, if you're going to argue about theology, make sure whatever theology you argue about leads you to love people and love God more, okay? Because God forbid we become a church that has all kinds of knowledge that doesn't love people well. God forbid we become a church in this gathering and we fill up this room and the city doesn't even know that we're here, right? Come on, amen. We don't want to be that church, So don't be that people, okay? It starts with you as an individual. Are you going to go love people? And are you going to let the theology of God, which is important, compel you to care more for the world around you? And then he says this about us, which I just love, and we're going to close out here. It says that we be to the praise of his glory. That we would be to the praise of his glory. What I get in that is like that God is cheering for us. Cheering. Now, does that matter? Is that important to anybody? Like, when I read that, that we're to the praise of his glory, it's like, you're the apple of his eye. It's like, when God looks at you, he's just proud of you. By, way, by the way of the cross, because of Jesus, when he looks at you, he's just proud of you. How many of you need some, somebody cheering for you, right? You need to feel like somebody's in your corner once in a while? Like, how would you be like, if you woke up tomorrow morning, and I'm there, and I'm like, you woke up, yes! And you'd be like, why is the pastor in my bedroom? But that'd be weird. And then, like, you're you're brushing your teeth, and I'm like, you're brushing your teeth. You're so good. That's awesome. Then, you you know, you're walking down the hallway, and I'm like, yay, you're going to go to work. And, you know, you're getting out in the Honda Civic, and I'm like, you got in the Civic. You know, you got somebody cheering for you all the time, and some of you, like, nobody's cheering for you, and you're struggling. I mean, you really are. I, I get how it feels sometimes where you don't feel like anybody's for you. We just talked about this. God, in his own divine community, three in one, he's for you. He's cheering for you. So you always got three people cheering for you. And that may seem kind of like silly, like why are we playing games like that? It's not. It's God himself is cheering for you as his child, covered in the blood of Christ, just full of value, full of the the image of God, covered in his grace. He is cheering for you. Now, here's what we need to do over here, I'm going to put Brian. You can put your name, if you're not Brian. But this is me. Okay? So over here is me. Now, this is where it gets hard. Now, some of you can hear all of this, and you think, okay, so when God sees me, when he looks down, heaven looks down, he sees me, he sees, you know, something that's loving, I'm a saint, I'm chosen, I'm holy, forgiven, redeemed, approved, you know, he's cheering for me. Like, all of this is, that's cool, but my wife, she talks to me about this all the time. Every Sunday I go home, she's like, Brian, that sermon was amazing. Every Sunday, isn't she awesome? Brian, that sermon was so good. And I'm like, thanks. Thanks come on, you got somebody in your life, somebody's mom is always telling you that you're awesome, and you're like, that's cool, mom, whatever, like, you just blow it off, right, it doesn't, it's lost its value in your life, and so it doesn't really change anything about the situation, you're just like, yeah, that's nice, whatever, and so I feel like that's how we view God, anybody there, like, where you're like, okay, God, that's cool, Um, you love me, you think I'm a saint, you chose me, whatever, but when it comes to you looking at yourself in the mirror, do you look at it, and you, are you like, You're like, I love love myself. Now, some of you, you're like, that sounds like self-help. Listen, here's why it's not. Here's why it's not. Because your authority to love yourself doesn't come from you. It comes from God. Right? Otherwise, all you have the power to do is just to keep saying to yourself, I love myself. I'm a good person. I'm a good person. And that's all self-help does for you. Is by your own authority, you're trying to tell yourself that you have value, and you realize, I'm not the one that needs to give me value. At some point, you realize somebody else, it needs to come from somewhere else. And and, and you're searching for this from relationships to friendships to your job to all kinds of things. Like, somebody give me value. The only one that's going to give you sustainable value is God. And He says, I love you. So you get to look at yourself in the mirror and be like, okay, I can love myself, not because of me, but because of Jesus, the cross. I'm a saint. Okay? You're set apart. So when you wake up in the morning, you look in the mirror, it's like, I'm different. I'm different. Are you different? Are people in your life, if you're a believer in Jesus, are they like, that guy's different? That girl's different. Look at how they care for people. Look at, look at how they carry themselves. Look how they respond in a situation where, where there's a need around them. They just do it. They just meet it. They don't, even, they don't even think about it. They're set apart. Chosen. Some of you need to wake up every morning and, and re-choose yourself. Because you spend a lot of time wishing you were somebody else. You spend a lot of time surfing the, the Facebook, right? Being like, oh, their life is so awesome. And, and in fact, I just read another study that said like, I forget the percentage, but just, just that Facebook leads to high percentage of, de- of depression in our society today because we're always comparing everybody else's outsides to our insides, right? And we're like, okay, my life is never good enough. You need to choose yourself again. Because if you don't choose yourself, you're going to miss out on all the things that God has given you specifically to do in the world around you. You need to be you. We need you to be you. I don't know your friends. I don't know your sphere of influence. I don't have the gift that you have. I need you to do what you do so that we can do what we do. Think of a church of everybody doing what they're supposed to do. That's a church that's on the move, right? Holy... This is important. This is where it gets into your business, right? So holiness is something given by God. When He looks at you, He sees holiness. That's cool, right? That's cool. When God sees me, He sees per- perfection, holiness, because of Jesus, because of the cross, cross. So when you when you look at yourself in the mirror, you got to see holiness. So when you own this, what that means is that's going to change what you do later on today. Go out to your car and look in the mirror and see, like, okay, I'm holy. That means that what I do needs to be different because who you are should identify what you do, right? Who you are will identify everything that you do. How much better is this than fear, anybody? It's better than fear, isn't it? Like when you just own this stuff, then you can just be these things because it's who you are. You're not faking it. It's just what you are. Forgiven and redeemed. Call it F and G because I don't want to write them. Forgiven and redeemed, okay? You You might need to forgive yourself for something from 20 years ago. from 10 minutes ago and some of you have forgiven yourself but you've never moved on redemption means to take the broken things in your life and to see beautiful things come out of them and that's pretty cool when God does that that's pretty cool when God takes a a broken situation and makes it awesome approval what if you were to wake up tomorrow morning instead of living for God's approval you could live from God's approval wouldn't that be cool Instead of being like, well, if I just give enough, do enough, serve enough, say the right things, I stop cussing, I, you know, start quoting Bible, Bible verses to my coworkers, and maybe God will approve of me. No, he approves of you. Look at yourself in the mirror and say, God approves for me. Cheering. You think, how do you cheer for yourself? Some of you need to cheer for yourself. You need to think that there are better things to come. There are better things in your future. That The, the, the plan that you have had so far and the, the trajectory of your life can change. You can think that like there are new things to come and that God has better things for you. I believe he does. I believe as you live out this identity in Christ that there are gonna be new amazing things that you're gonna be a part of. But until you remember who you are or if you're in Adam today and you have identified with your sin, if you're honest with yourself, you're like, what drives me, Brian, is not God is not Jesus. I am not covered in grace. I have not received it. I have stiff-armed God for my entire life. If that's you today, you don't have to leave here that way. You can own this today, and you can believe this, not because you said it, but because God says it. Amen. Love you guys. Thanks.